Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening. How's everybody doing? Yep. I know. Just another week. <sighs> Let's make it a good one, though. You know, I want to start reminding everyone at the beginning of the week to decide what kind of week they want to have. You know, a rough weekend doesn't need to become a rough week, right? Uh, the prior weeks being a little rough doesn't mean the rest of the month has to just a reminder. Also a rough moment doesn't have to become a rough day. A rough day doesn't have to become a rough week. Like I want us to remember that we can experience fully and deeply whatever's happening, but we don't always have to take it forward with us. And that's what can happen. Someone has something bad happen in the morning. They're like, Oh, it's going to be a bad day. No, it's bad morning, but the rest of the day is full of possibilities. So decide what kind of week you want to have. Yes, we're at the mercy of a lot of different institutions and forces and systems, but we can have a little bit of a sense. I've shared this before. I leave little notes around my house. Not a lot of them. That becomes overwhelming, but there'll be like a mantra or concept that I'm trying to practice. And I'm back to practicing the whole okay, right? Okay things. <clears throat> now, again, there's a, I always have to bring the caveat in because you're all real good at calling me out if there's like a outlier. If there's an injustice occurring, we, st we get loud, we stand up, we handle it. Outside of that... I'm okaying everything. If something's frustrated or annoying, my response is, okay. If I got a parking ticket, I'm like, okay. If uh, I drop my coffee on my shirt, I'm like, okay. Because you know what? I'm not gonna get caught up and wasting my time and energy with small things. I'm not gonna freak out, get dysregulated, ruin my morning because I spilled coffee or got a parking ticket. I'm gonna say, okay, and I'm gonna show up and deal with it and move forward. Again, caveat being if I see something that's unjust, I don't just roll with it. That is not being, that is just me resting on my privilege and not doing my work as a human being in the world and taking on collective responsibility, caveat covered. But everything else I'm okaying. So I have an okay, the word okay written on a note, and it's stuck somewhere central in my home, and I'm reminding myself to just roll with things. If I get an annoying email, I'm like, okay. You know what I mean? It's just like you're not you're not letting everything throw you off. It's very Eastern in its philosophy. It's the middle path. You're just like water going around the rocks, letting things happen, not taking everything seriously. Moods are coming in and out. I'm just noticing and allowing. I'm tucking them in my backpack and going about my day experiences and moods and emotions aren't negative or positive. They're just different forms of energy and I'm rolling with it, but it's not toxic positivity. When things are sad or bad, I allow myself to fold them deeply <clears throat> and I work with and I work through and I okay it. I'm like, it's okay that I feel sad. It's okay that I'm feeling anxious. Is it requesting anything from me? Let me allow it to be a, canyon, a, a companion with me on the rest of my journey for the day. So I'm just okaying everything. My response to everything is okay if it's an annoyance or a frustration or a disappointment. 
So that's what we're practicing this week. <clears throat> but we got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about sleep divorce. I know it's actually something that can help prevent divorce and help relationships. Going to talk about some good news that's going on in the world around COVID. We always got to talk about some of the good. And then I'm going to spend the rest of the show talking about fatherhood. Yep. Talking about fatherhood and the impact that uh, birth has on that co-parent. Postpartum depression also affects men and fathers. So we're going to talk a lot about that, dedicating the rest second half of the show to that. Super excited for that. But let's get into um, just a few pieces of good news. Boeing, Boeing planes, this is phenomenal. We'll use 100% sustainable fuel by 2030, 100% by the end of the decade. I, I love that. They're going to be uh, raising fuel blending requirements, developing advances to the jet system, getting safety certification from global regulators, blah, blah, blah. This is important in terms of environmental damage caused by fossil fuels. I want all airlines and cars to be doing this. I know a lot of cars have, I think, um, different regulations about how soon we have to be getting away from fossil fuel use as well. But that's amazing. I, I, I love that. Other good news, healthcare workers uh, replaced have replaced Denver cops in the handling of hundreds of mental health and substance cases. I think that's great. Someone struggling with substance abuse or addiction or mental health, that should be a healthcare provider that helps them, gets them resources, the care they need. It shouldn't be the job of a cop, and cops aren't prepared to handle that. And what you, they usually do is use the carceral system, and people get you know, thrown in jail, 72-hour holds where their rights are removed, and often that's not needed. They just need resources or care. So I love that mental health issues are being handled by mental health practitioners. That's the way it always should have been. So props to you, Denver. There's a lot of cities and states that are also stepping in and doing that. Los Angeles County is working on a program like that. They've already initiated some of it. That's phenomenal, and that's what defunding the police is about. It's not saying we don't need police at all. It's saying we're removing their power in some ways, which is needed, letting the right people deal with the right people in terms of issues and needs, and also better distributing money. We just look at things like the you know millions of dollars that spent on the war on drugs, which is misallocated and unfairly targets black people and other people of color, right? So we're, we're, we're putting the money where the money needs to be and we're getting the right people to do the right job. So that's a positive, beneficial thing. And then finally, let's close on this because this is adorable as all hell. A young trans girl, struggled to find swimwear that she felt confident in. So her amazingly loving, supportive dad started making his own line of swimwear for trans girls. Love that. This guy, Jamie Alexander's from Toronto, Canada. Shout out to Toronto. He was like, you know what? I got to do something about this. So he started clothing line. I love this. This is adorable. He said he, he uh, interviewed 50 to 60 different parents that he found in a Facebook group for parents of trans children. And um, he says, and this is a great quote, the best businesses are ones that solve real problems. I knew we had a problem. So he developed a prototype bikini bottom that gently compresses and pulls things in without causing discomfort. Oh, it's called Ruby's, named after his daughter. Um, amazing, heartwarming stuff like that. All right, coming up next, COVID good news. That's right. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, welcome back. Talking about some COVID <clears throat> good news. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I still, still being a little gentle about this. I don't want <clears throat> anyone to make too much meaning out of this. I want it to make us feel, you know, like hope is on the way, but I absolutely want to make sure it doesn't communicate to anyone that we can loosen up or let go of all the protocols that we're following, right? Uh, I think it's confusing to some. 
there, seeing tons of people out living their lives fully, fully, excuse me, uh, certain friends, groups, certain states and countries, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's safe. And that's what a lot of people have been talking about. It's very confusing for them to see on the news or on their social media, people out there fully living their lives. And they're saying, <clears throat> am I doing something wrong? And it's like, no, <laughs> they are. But it's really hard when that's what the media kind of focuses on. They don't do lots of stories of people following the rules, isolating, looking out for others. We do see that on uh, Instagram. You know, a lot of people talk about hitting a wall, being tired and all that. So that's good. But the wider network news are focusing more on the issues. So I wanted to just drop in some good news. Um, five reasons to be hopeful. This is coming out of the BBC News. We're past the peak. So although certain events such as the Super Bowl or New Year's Eve or Christmas were, uh, or the holidays <clears throat> kind of could spike it, in general, infection levels have been falling since early January. That's great. And uh, fewer people have been admitted to the hospital. And again, this is coming out of the UK, but uh, you know, this is still a generalized trend we're seeing here in some states as well. So that's the good news. <clears throat> also, uh, vaccination programs are going well. Now, again, some places are struggling to get access. Some places do not have the numbers, uh, but they are being rolled out. Like I'm looking at them here in LA and people are donating spaces. I know restaurants that are offering themselves up as a site for vaccinations, um, supermarkets. And also here we have like big old Dodger Stadium. We reported on it a couple weeks ago that uh, Anaheim's Disney World had also opened up as a site for vaccinations. So the program's moving. <clears throat> the numbers, we still have a very high target. Still got to hang in there. But, um, you know, again, it's coming out of the BBC's, BBC. 90% of people over the age of 75 have been vaccinated. I, I'm not sure that that's the case here in the United States. <laughs> 90%? I mean, they're doing far better over there. But the point is, the global impact matters because that's how things are being spread. Um Still tons of changes, as we talked about. Uh, it's mostly white people that have gotten it. I mean, that is the high percentage. I think the numbers were 60% plus. So we have to get it to um, <clears throat> other other individuals. Um, also, vaccination has been and should slow the spread. Now, again, remember, vaccination takes time to kick in. It's not 100%. Uh, and also, you still can become infected and can still spread it to others. So it's not a cure-all. It's a way to decrease the infections and also the severity of the infection. So that's why we're doing it, right? We're looking out for ourselves and others in that way. But it uh, has been so in the spread. Also, infection offers long-lasting protection, right? So that's going to help relieve uh, some of the burden. But uh, that's what research is showing. Yeah, a study out of UK has been tracking the level of antibodies people have after the infection. Those uh, These healthy immune systems fight the virus and research found, ready? 88% of people had them at least six months after catching the virus. Uh, so that's a good thing. Also mutations are saying can be beaten. Again, I've seen conflicting news about that, but um, this report is saying that although there's been a lot of concern, the UK variant is more transmissible and more infectious, right? And it has a uh, higher impact of symptoms, but um, yeah, the vaccine it's saying, I'm sorry, I'm reading as I'm looking at it, it seems to weaken the effect. It's good news because that's what we're worrying about. Dr. Fauci was saying that there might be the possibility of needing a booster shot at some point to um, <clears throat> amplify the effects or also help protect against, you know, new strains, which is what viruses do. Remember, viruses are very complex. And this is something we've only been studying for about a year. So we're still learning a lot about it. That's the problem. So that's all good news. But again, the, the larger takeaway from this is I want people to know that we still have to be following protocols right? None of this once, you know, the bulk of people are vaccinated means that everything's great. I don't know. It's interesting to see the openings 
<clears throat> because I know in Canada, in the UK, they've actually tightened up protocols. So it's really fascinating that here in the United States, at least here in LA, uh, things are slowly starting to open because in both UK and Canada, uh, whether you live there or not, upon entering, you have to stay for two weeks at a hotel at your cost. They don't want you going back to your home to spread it to friends, family, and other loved ones, which I understand that. So for those that are, that's what they're trying to do, non-essential travel, they're trying to cut down on it. So you'd have to tack that onto your trip and also get a test within, I think, three to five days of getting on your plane to go home. I mean, it's pretty stringent, but that's important. That's how we prevent the spread. And that's why people are saying, we're seeing people in New Zealand going to concerts. Well, they handle things far better and far differently, right? So again, the key is psychologically, if you're exhausted and you're burnt out and you want your life back, everything you, knew, everything you do now determines that and has an impact on that. So whether or not you're following the restrictions right now will determine and impact what happens next. Um, I mean, I'm also watching the schools opening too, which is... I don't know. I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts on it. I mean, for me, uh, I don't feel like we're ready. I understand the impact that it's having, having everyone home, but um, I'm personally not ready to reenter the world. <sighs> it's getting a little familiar, not being out there doing the things we're familiar doing, <clears throat> right? Like it's a new familiarity with the opposite. The longing for some people has increased. For me, it's decreased. Uh, I'm getting very comfortable with my my patterns and habits. So it'll be interesting as things open up, uh, the internal use of coffee shops, gyms, and things like that, how long it'll take me to slowly emerge. Maybe it'll be faster than I thought. I don't know. I'm watching friends in other states, and they're bouncing back far quicker. So settle in, y'all. I know. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about um, a sleep divorce. <laughs> it might be the one kind of divorce that actually saves your marriage. Funny enough how a divorce can do that. But there's a lot of different ways to run your relationship. And uh, relational health is about saying, hey, what do we as a couple need? It's not about being normal or standard, right? It's about what do we specifically need? Uh, question night, as always, up on our Loveline IG page. And then, of course, we'll be sliding into some DMs. Uh, Want to check out past episodes of Loveline? Head on over to wearechannelq.com. Slide on down, see my little face, click on it, and there they are. Um, there's something else I wanted to tell y'all. Bum, 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 bum. I don't know. It'll come to me. I'll share it with you in a later segment, but it was on my mind to remember. I got to start writing stickets. All right, y'all, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and, uh, ah, sleep divorce. It's such a powerful word. I don't like the use of the word divorce when we're talking about it. Basically, we're at a really interesting time where celebrities are talking a lot about a lot of different relational styles. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow, God bless her. <laughs> Don't talk a lot about her. I, I really am not a fan of a lot of her work with Goop. Yeah, it's a lot of spiritual materialism, you know, taking spiritual practices and even some forms of self-care and wellness and just really dipping in some capitalism and making a high price point, some really fragile outcomes and fragile science behind some of it. But one of the things she was talking about is uh, living, living apart together. L.A.T., living apart together. And a couple other celebrities came out saying that, that, um, hey, we don't necessarily need to live with our primary partner, whether married or not. And I loved what that brought forth, is a conversation about how there's so many different ways to run your relationships. And we tend to go along what we call the relational escalator, which is we follow the same pattern, standardized forms of courtship. <clears throat> and it's called heteronormativity. And it can be problematic and toxic because it, it doesn't allow the discussion or recognition of all the different ways that a couple can come together and be together and cohabitate together, if at all. 
And what you, normally happens is what? You flirt, you court someone, then you become monogamous and exclusive, then at some point you live together, then at some point you get married, and then you have a child. And it's just this one, one storyline. And, and homonormativity is the gay version of heteronormativity, and they look the same, and the expectations are the same, that it'll be two people, monogamous and exclusive, and if they really care about each other, they're monogamous. If they really care about each other, at some point they live together, and if they really care about, and it's this long story, and that works for a lot of people because that's what they've been socialized to expect, and that's what they've practiced in adolescence and their teenage years and early adulthood. But when people come forward that are celebrities, which now have a lot of power around social norms, and undoing social stigma, there's a lot of different ways of being. And that's really all I want to come out of that part is just that, you know, couples come into my office and we have to have really transformative and sometimes very difficult conversations about what, what do these two exact people in front of me or, or three people in front of me or four people, whatever the relational configuration is, what do these people need? And there's poly families where poly individuals, people that have multiple ongoing relationships live together and cohabitate. I know a few of them. They've written books. Uh, some of them are therapists. Really beautiful. There's more care. There's more support. Finances is easier. Um, and then there's some families that are non-poly, right? They're, they're, they're not together in any sexual romantic form, but they're friends and they live together. And New York Times did a big article on a... Family I know that decided during COVID to move in with another family and uh, just live together and uh, just really celebrate in the joy, care, and fun of you know mutual cohabitation. And, and, and what we're really doing is we're going back to what actually is normal and natural. And that's the funny thing is, you know, we came from more of a collective mutual aid-based world where people were living in smaller bands and numbers <clears throat> or even larger and and helping each other. There, there literally were villages and communities helping one another out. It was the industrial revolution and capitalism that started to make us individualists where we worried about ourselves and only our family or only our neighborhood or only our state where before everyone helped the community out. And so we're getting a little bit more towards that. And I think that there's something beautiful in that. So the sleep divorce concept comes from that idea that not everyone is compatible in terms of sleep patterns or habits. Some people go to bed early. Some people move around a lot at night. Some people get up to pee a lot. Some people snore. Some people like the room cold. Some people like the room hot. <clears throat> and the answer was you don't need to sleep together. It can be very helpful for some people that are living together, have separate rooms. You can still share rooms at times, but it's important for someone to have their own space to maybe sleep alone. So they sleep better undisturbed. That doesn't mean there's less love, care, commitment, love, care, and commitment is shown in a multitude of ways. Marriage doesn't promise it. Living together doesn't promise it. Being in the same bed does not promise it. And it's really about authentically and with a lot of confidence saying, what do I need as a person? And what does this other or these others in front of me need as people? And, and creating a life that mirrors that. That's where mental health is, not just falling in line. And that's what's led to a lot of misery. And that's what's led to a lot of divorce is not being able to fulfill, <clears throat> excuse me, not being able to fulfill that heteronormative fantasy and saying, I don't want kids or I don't want to live together. Or, I don't want to share a bedroom or I'd love to raise my family with another family involved. Or maybe I want a second partner as well. Uh, I, I, on the show, we had a great individual, a doctor who wrote a book about being a throuple, three gay men living together, raising uh, two children. And it's a beautiful story of more love, more care, more commitment than what two people can provide because three just brings in inherently more of that. And so we're going to see more people coming forward and more people realizing that maybe they want to take some of those opportunities as we start to normalize and discuss. So I'm really thankful in that way for a lot of the celebrities coming forward, talking about their different lifestyles, whether open or poly 
or not living together while together or raising kids with others. I love some celebrities that are two friends raising a child together. So many stunning ways to create family, you know? Um, all right, coming up, gonna slide into some DMs and then we come back and talk about some myths of fatherhood and really debunking the idea that fathers aren't and can't be loving caregivers. So I think it's really important information. Uh, for some of you, it's gonna be the first time you're gonna hear some of these things. So stick around for that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. Right, we're back, and guess what? It is time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right. Y'all know the drill. DMs always come from our Loveline IG page in the stories. I'm sorry, not in the stories, in the DMs. <laughs> that is why it's called sliding into the DMs. So drop on in there. Slide on in there. We're happy to hear from you. Always, always, always. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Emily, and I've been with my girlfriend for over three years. In the past year... Her mental health has taken a turn. Understandably, right? A lot going on last year. She's been a roller coaster lately, but she's seeing a therapist once a week, and I'm proud of her for that. I am as well. It's hard for some individuals, whether it's due to finances, uh, you know, past problematic experiences with power structures and institutions or the mental health care system. Also, we have familial, cultural, racial uh, components around our comfort or or lack thereof with certain, you know, helping professions. So I always, I'm always, you know, really inspired by people that get into therapy. It's uh, really deep, powerful work. It can be very hard. And um, yeah, I, you know, again, it, it's wild how we still live in a world in some places where people think that it's a sign of weakness or brokenness or pathology to seek therapy when it's actually the opposite. More, eh, everyone at some point should be in that process just based on how the world works. And those that are willing to do it, that's a good sign. You know, you should feel good when someone's in therapy. You should worry when they're not. Anywho, I digress. Um, this week, though, <laughs> bum, 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 it's been pretty bad for her. She was talking about her friend from years ago oh, that committed suicide uh, and said that she understands what she was feeling. She said that she's never happy anymore and can't make herself happy no matter how hard she tries. She's never talked like this before, and I'm extremely worried. She says she's fine. And she's not doing drugs or drinking, but I'm scared. Can I talk to her therapist? What can I do? Uh, gosh. Well, in theory, yes, you could reach out to her therapist. Her therapist, uh, due to confidentiality, can't confirm or deny that she's working with your girlfriend, nor can she discuss anything about working with your girlfriend. But she could read an email or listen to a voicemail if you choose to send one. Again, she can't respond or confirm she's seeing your girlfriend. Uh, more importantly though, I really think it'd be good to have you support your girlfriend in, in having her tell her therapist what she's going through, which she might already have done, but you could check in on that. Hey, have you been sharing with your therapist your thoughts? Uh, people, you know, people reflecting back or having, you know, conversations around, um, Suicide is something we both want to take seriously, but we also don't, it doesn't necessarily speak to suicide, suicide ideation, right? Um, but I'm glad you're taking it seriously. It should be a red flag. It should be something that you check in on. So I would support her in talking to her therapist. Um, I don't see any red flags in anything you've shared. It doesn't sound like she has means or intent. And that's really what means it's time to reach out to her family. Um, but you'd want to do that with her again. We don't ever want to undermine anyone's power. So you'd want to sit down and say to her, you know, you're talking about means you're talking about intention. And I'm aware that those are serious red flags. I'd love to support you and maybe talking to your families and maybe even support you in talking to your therapist. So we can make sure that, you know, this is getting, uh, attention and it's getting addressed and that's kind of your best bet. 
because again, you don't want to take away someone's autonomy, regardless of their mental health struggle. Uh, that then maybe sets you up in an oppositional position, and then she won't confide in you. And you want to be available so that you can track if this is something that's ongoing and escalates. Right now, it doesn't sound to be the case. Um, and again, I'm giving you counseling. I, I can't give you medical advice, um, so you have to on your own decide what you want to do. You know, this is for counseling and educational and entertainment-based purposes. Um, as is all the advice I give, it's for entertainment only. You have to decide what you do with your own support team but I'm glad you're taking it seriously. And the bottom line answer is absolutely support her in making sure she tells her therapist that because that's something that the therapist needs to be aware of. Um, it's tough. Uh, it's really hard to be in a relationship with someone who's struggling and I advocate for everyone to try to still be there. I advocate for everyone on all ends to get the support they need. So to the person who wrote this DM, Make sure you're getting the support you need about being in a relationship with someone who's struggling with mental health. You might need to up your self-care, up your support. You might want to get into therapy as well, just for your own stuff, but this is going to impact your life. That's what, it's, that's what it means to be in a relationship, whether you're a sibling, a friend, a lover, a parent. Um, it means we take on the responsibility. You know, but we always have to look at how things impact ourselves as well. So please draw attention to that. All right, y'all. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about fatherhood, uh, destigmatizing some things, uh, breaking some myths, and normalizing the experience of a newborn child on the uh, male caretaker. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Radio.com. All right, we're back and we're going to be talking a bit about fatherhood and really debunking some of these essentialist ideas. So essentialism is this concept, oh, I'm going to water down a very complex concept to just say that essentialism is this idea that we are born a certain way and everyone who's a male works a certain way, everyone who's a female operates, thinks and behaves a certain way. And that's not true. We all have traits of the other and both and neither. And that's why I don't use words like the, you know, the female psyche, the male psyche, you know, because none of that's real or true. We all have traits of both. Some of us have traits of none and none of, and our anatomy and our gender expression don't necessarily promise anything. And so I just talk about individuals and who they are and what they are. Historically, we believed that fathers just didn't have it in their genes or their biology to be good caregivers or nurturers. That is not true. We have a lot of examples anthropologically and sociologically of quite the opposite. <clears throat> Most of the time, it is that we've decided that it is the role of, of the woman or whoever's the femme presenting and that they inherently have it in them. And so fathers often and, and, and people that are men have not been given the opportunity to show to demonstrate, to find out, to be reminded that they actually can also be caregivers. And I love the idea that we now have stay-at-home fathers. <clears throat> fathers that are saying, I don't want to dedicate my life to labor, helping someone else make money off my labor or being the breadwinner. They're saying, I want to be part of raising my child. I want to be home. I love that. And I like now that people, fathers are getting paternity leave. Fathers do absolutely have a right to be a part of their newborn's life. They want to, and they should have the right to. Everyone should. And I like that now hetero couples, it's not assumed that the female is going to stay home. I like that the father has a right to say, I might want to. Let's talk about this. But bigger than that, I want to talk about some new anthropological research that is showing that, in fact, fatherhood dun, 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 does involve provider. Now, <clears throat> we can racialize this as well. You know, 
there's there's racial lines and we can look at institutional systemic racism and the carceral system and how a lot of black fathers and fathers of color are unjustly and disproportionately put in the carceral system and problematized and so that's in there we're not we're not going to get into that i want to stay more topical and superficial in this discussion although i want to just acknowledge that that does matter and that is in there and socioeconomics matter um, but just the generalized idea that fathers can parent, fathers can be great caregivers. Children don't need a mother and a father. Uh, children need caregivers. That's what they need. And they can be any gender because all mothers mother differently. And so it's not about the need of mother and a father. That's not promising continuity or universality of any kind. Fathers all father differently and mothers all mother differently. And children just need love and care. They don't need to be socialized into gender rules and norms. In fact, we're trying to roll that back and we're trying to remind children, you can be whatever you want to be, just be yourself. And that will look all different kinds of ways. And so I love this debunking of the idea that men just genetically don't have it in them. Men just aren't nurturing. Yes, they are. We have to give them an opportunity to. Toxic masculinity hurts all of us. So does patriarchy. And men often are shunned or mocked or stigmatized when they're soft, more gentle, more vulnerable, more emotional or maybe want to stay at home. We still don't necessarily support that or value that. I still hear from individuals saying, I want a man that is this, that, and the other thing. And they're talking about stereotypes. They're talking about toxic masculinity. And you can't complain about the toxic masculinity that you're creating and reinforcing, right? We can't, we can't want it and access it when it benefits us, but then complain when it shows up and works against us. If you create and form relationships in very traditional ways, that's rooted in a lot of sexism. And then you can't be shocked when you get sexism. We're trying to move towards truth and authenticity and fluidity where people can just be who they are and ask for what they need, right? And just be present with, <clears throat> be present with their true dreams, goals, and ideals, right? And so we have to move away from these words and just talk about caregivers. And everyone has the capacities to do that. We just have to culturally and socially allow that to be seen and supported and honored so that people can engage in it, right? And that's even a side example. That's why people are saying, why are there more you know, sexually fluid and why are there more trans people than before? Because now it's ex more acceptable. It's more, there's bigger community care and support. There's now better resources and people are actually able to have recognition and inclusion. And so they're finally able to identify that that's who they are and move towards their truth. Uh, there's always been, it's just that there hasn't been safe access or visibility or resources. And when you start to provide that, truth can finally emerge. And that's why we're seeing more male sexual fluidity and things like that, because it's less toxic to come forward as bi or pan or sexually fluid. Where historically we're like, you're just gay and lying. <clears throat> or we didn't take people seriously as parents. You know, they're now gay rights and trans rights. So now it's safe for that to emerge. They don't have to lose their job, their family, their healthcare. And we're going to see that now more as well with people that are more masculine or male or male presenting being able to be taken seriously as caregivers and as emotional holistic beings and not have to deny elements of themselves for fear of being shunned or emasculated. Masculinity does include everything and so does femininity, thereby erasing those terms. It promises nothing, right? We wanna live more in truth. All right, when we come back, we're gonna talk more about 
postpartum mental health and how that is a men's issue and how men are impacted by that. And that's something that's usually relegated just to females and it leaves males not addressing those mental health needs and components. So we're going to talk about that when we come back. Question of the night, as always, up on our Loveline IG page. And then we'll be closing out the show with some DMs. And uh, if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going over to wearechannelq.com and uh, while you're over there, check out some of those other great shows that uh, Channel Q has to offer. All right, y'all, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And I was super, I was super stoked on getting to talk about this tonight. I really am. Uh, I like anything that's liberating and really leads us back to authenticity and challenges these uh, toxic norms. And one of them is about postpartum mental health and that it does apply to men. It is not just an issue that's attributed to females. And that leaves a lot of men's mental health needs unaddressed and the mental health needs of fathers. Again, fathers can be caregivers. Fathers can be stay-at-home parents. They have just the, they have just as great abilities as anyone else in caregiving. It's just that they have to be normalized, reinforced, amplified, allowed to come forward, supported. But that often doesn't happen because we've bought into these ideas of this essential essential biology or maleness and that it's hard and rough and aggressive. No, all of that has been socialized. We all have different capacities. I watch it all the time in my office change and shift. And I'm happy to support people that are male or more masculine now coming forward saying, I want to be softer. I want to be more gentle. I want to stay home and raise my children. I want to be part of my child's life. I can be a good caregiver. And we're finally seeing better and more role models around that. And it's stunning. So we want to remember that postpartum, post-pregnancy has an impact on the man or the male caregiver as well, right? That, that is something. There is something in there. It, everyone's life and identity changes when they become a parent or a child is brought home. Everyone's mental health and identity changes. Siblings, <clears throat> someone, goes, someone goes from being just the only child to becoming a sibling, right? Now they have another role in identity, you know, and, and having more in the family shifts that. So for instance, not for instance, but we now know dads also experience trauma during pregnancy and birth. They, they are not a neutral vacuum. Their experience, experience of themselves, experience of their partner having the child, experience of now becoming a parent, can have identity confusion, identity anxiety, and there can be trauma related to that experience, positive and negative, right? <clears throat> and we want to accommodate and talk about that. It's not just how's the female doing, how's her mental health after and during the pregnancy. Father as well, what is his like? How is he impacted? by all that's going on. We need to be able to normalize and talk about that. Here's a stat, one in five will experience postpartum depression. One in five fathers. I'll bet you the high number's higher, but it's just that's all that's reported or all that we could find access to in research. But one in five, that's massive. Let's just go with about 25%, 20, 25%. We have to be able to talk about that. We tend to ignore that. We tend to ignore the needs of the father. And again, this isn't ruling out the needs of the mother. We, we will and have talked about that. We are just talking now about the other parent, the co-parent. That, they're, that even though they didn't get pregnant and they're not the one that's giving birth, they still have those same experiences. Dads are 50% more likely to experience postpartum depression or anxiety if their partner has it. So if the birthing parent has it, it's 50% increase that the partner, the non-birthing partner will also have it. Okay, so when you see someone who just gave birth, dealing with postpartum depression, we need to check in on the co-parent. And how about you? How are you? Have you had heightened anxiety or depression as a result of this? How are you feeling about your new identity 
Are you feeling confident? Are you feeling nervous? Are you feeling excited? One in 10 dads experience postpartum depression. Talked about that. 18% of dads develop a, a clinically significant anxiety disorder. Very understandable. Shift in roles and responsibilities. Their whole life has been reoriented. Dad's hormones also shift and change in the postpartum period. Again, understandable. Our life experiences and context impact our hormonal, our hormonal response, right? That's massive. 18%, one in 10, hormone shift. We have to be able to talk about that. We have to normalize that. We don't want that to be something that someone is unaware of, doesn't expect, is afraid to talk about, doesn't know how to find resources. We need to bring those resources forward. It's really important information. <clears throat> we tend to really only focus on the birthing parent. And as you're noticing, I'm trying to extend the language outside of father and mother because sometimes it's two females, sometimes it's two males, sometimes it's a group. We have cis and trans individuals birthing, right? Men do give birth, men that are trans. And so we want to acknowledge the impact on everyone, even on their own sense of gender and their body, where their bodies before maybe were seen or treated as something that was erotic or athletic or labor, career-driven and based. And now it's part of producing life. It's part of raising offspring. It's part of nurturance. Parts of ourselves, like the breasts, that were traditionally seen as maybe more erotic-based are now part of the child getting their nutrients and needs met and self-soothing right? And so everyone has an experience of those changes. That's not just an individualized and contained experience, right? When we're in a relationship with someone, anything that shifts and changes within them and their lives, most likely will have an impact on us. If only because we now have to respond differently, differently to the differences in our partner. And so we want to be able to talk about these things. So we're going to keep reminding ourselves, keep bringing this up. But you know, the global response is just everyone's impacted and we want to talk to everyone about their experience and gender doesn't matter. <clears throat> and that's what I'm so thankful about is starting to challenge gender norms is it's allowing people to have more opportunities to be maybe a single father or, <clears throat> excuse me, um, different configurations and styles. And we were talking about that in an earlier segment about sleep divorce and living alone while to living apart while together. It's really about meeting the honest, honest, honest needs. But a lot of these gender roles and gender stereotypes tend to just create not just shame around someone's experience or interests or goals, but more importantly, it prevents them from getting access to the important resources in mental health care. And even mental health care providers aren't necessarily aware of all this. You know, oftentimes they'll focus exclusively on the, the birthing parents' experience, not realizing that everyone in the household has had their lives and identities shifted and changed. So we'll keep talking more about it. <clears throat> um, question night. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's from having had the air conditioner on. Anywho, I got to drink some water. As I was saying, it's tough doing radio. It's a lot of talking. Also, you know, I'm talking nonstop in my clinical practice. I'm talking nonstop in media work that I do. It's a lot on my voice. So I'm going to get off air now and <laughs> take a little break. I'm going to drink some tea, <laughs> work on my throat health. But a question night, as always, up on our Loveline IG page. And they'll be closing out with some DMs. DMs are always from our Loveline IG page. If you got a question, drop it on in there. Always anonymous, always confidential. Whatever you might be worrying about, someone else might be as well. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about how the pandemic has affected our sex lives. All right, remember, the first thing I wanted to say <laughs> is don't panic. 
I, I'm laughing because that's something I'm feeling myself repeating for a multitude of ways, in a multitude of reasons, uh, for a multitude of reasons, in a multitude of ways, depending on how you want to say that. Uh, people are coming into my office, DMing me, tweeting at me, and, and panicking. Remember, as I keep saying, it's an important caveat, everything that we're doing right now does matter, right? We will be impacted and we will remember what's being said, what's being done. So we want to be very thoughtful and loving with how we're managing ourselves and our frustrations because it matters. However, we will come out of this and there will be a return to some of our important baselines. Don't think that some of the current relational struggles or sexual struggles or struggles with affection, that this is necessarily the new norm. The law of human gravity, we will be most drawn back to what was our standard baseline. And, and again, that doesn't have to be if you add attention and intention. Have the intention maybe of coming out better and different and pay attention to that. And that can happen, right? We can, we can come out of this saying, wow, you know, I sat there and I realized I want to re-enter with some new insights, some new confidence, some new different, you know, ways of being. But for those that are seeing a negative impact on this time, don't, don't, do not panic about that. You know, our relationships are being impacted by a lot of novel things as a result of the novel virus, right? We're having anxiety around touch, around access to things. We're having some depression, right? We're having a different relationship with our bodies because of maybe what we're eating, our eating habits and patterns, our relationship to exercise. And so there's a reason why there's a lot of articles and a lot of talk about a decrease in sexual activity. And couples are unfamiliar with that. And this is now a really beautiful time to get more fluid and to get more confident and to rely upon other things. Couples or individuals that are typically more hyperactive in terms of sexuality or affectionality are really having to sit with this decrease in that, and that's okay. This isn't the new personal or relational norm. Let's talk about some of the things that are going on that are around that. Like I said, we have just generalized depression and anxiety that tends to not be something that's very erotic, right? And so when we're thinking about sex with ourselves or sex with others, that's not necessarily something that maybe we feel like we have the energy or the drive towards, right? Our mental health matters. Again, about how we feel about others, uh, sex, and our bodies. Um, also, some people are taking on a lot more labor at home, physical and emotional. There's maybe more, you know, the children at home all day to worry about. Uh, office dynamics have shifted. Some people are working from home while also having children going to school from home. Some people's emotional workload has increased because they're caretaking individuals' losses. So much going on around that. So we also have to acknowledge that. Well, we have an, an up in labor, maybe not employment, but in other forms of labor. And sex requires, as does affection, often some energy. And so that's shifted. Our energy's been dispersed into other directions. What else is going on? Well, being home more and maybe dealing with basic needs getting met, there's been an increase in conflict. And conflict isn't necessarily something that is eroticized. However, in times of conflict, uh, finding space where we feel interested and desirous of sex can help bridge us back. We don't have to be getting along to be interested in sex. That can sometimes bring us together when nothing else seems to be. However, it's okay to acknowledge we have more, more stress in our marriage and in our lives. And so people aren't really feeling drawn to each other right now. Again, things that are contextualized and are born out of and related specifically the pandemic, when that alleviates itself, we'll be more back at maybe a true baseline. And if not, again, we'll add that attention and intention to make sure that that's different, right? Also, 
the newness and novelty of just being out in the world is sometimes carried home with us. Also, I talk to people about being maybe aroused and turned on while out in the world and taking that energy home and having and using that to have sex with our partners, right? To inspire, to drive, to, to increase desire and arousal and to create some drive. And that's missing, right? Uh, familiarity and continuity is not erotic. And that's what we're seeing. We're just always with ourselves. Maybe we're always with our partner where we realized how important that space and time apart was. That space and time apart allows us to miss and to want. When there's too much closeness, there's not enough space to have desire for another. And when we're with them all day long, in the same home, on the same couch, in our sweats, we don't necessarily have that needed distance. We don't want too much closeness and we don't want too much space. It's like this magical in-between amount where we're close enough to connect but far enough to have desire because there's an actual other. And all of these things are workable. We can find ways within all of that to still be sexual. So maybe prioritize it, carve out the time, the space, the privacy, the energy, whatever's needed, but also don't panic. This doesn't necessarily have to be the new way that you're relating to your sexuality or the new way you and your partner are relating to sexuality or partners, right? Um, so work with it, but don't panic. It's okay to talk about it. Right, we have to be able to talk about these things, and that can be part of it. Having your panic, uh, excuse me, having your partner explain to you or partners that will be okay. You know what I mean? Or even problem solving. Maybe they're picking up on something. So bring it forward, bring it up, talk about it, do it in a loving way. Um, we can get through it. You know, it all change when the world opens back up. Just gotta hang in there. All right, coming up next, gonna be doing some DMs. Those, as always, are in our Loveline IG page. So drop them on in there. Uh, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right. <clears throat> Today's question says, hey, Dr. Chris, I was wondering if you had any ideas on making date nights special during the pandemic. I want to do something for Valentine's Day, but really had no idea what to do. I want to make up for it by creating something special now that the time has come and gone. Thank you. I like that. Sometimes we weren't prepared for Valentine's Day. We did what we had to do. Time comes and goes. We swoop in afterwards. You know, my mom said something really beautiful. Uh, she, lives, she lives on the East Coast. I'm out here on the West Coast. And we were talking about her birthday. And um, time had gotten away from me. I love her deeply. And I'm one of those people where I love sending gifts uh, when I can as a symbol of I care about you. I'm thinking about you. You're important to me. Um, and again, it, it shouldn't be mandatory. I want to remind everyone that your birthday, whatever the holiday is, shouldn't be mandatory. It should be that if someone chooses and wants to use that day as a moment to honor you by uh, sending you a card or a special phone call or a special text or a gift, that that should be extra special, but it shouldn't be expected and mandatory. Like I, I do want to push back on that idea that someone should do something. No, but it's nice if they do, but they don't have to. And that was what was my mom was saying. It was really beautiful and healing. She said, you know, because the time got away from me. And it was about a day or two before when I really looked into getting some things delivered and it just wasn't going to be there in time. And I felt really bad and, oh, sorry, turn my phone off. And my mom was really beautiful in her response. She said, you know, it's really nice when I receive something on my birthday, but she said, it actually means more to me when I receive something that's not on a holiday because it, it really shows even more thought and care and it's never expected. It's never mandatory, but don't worry about it. Uh, you know, I know you love me. And if you think about me on another day or week, feel free to send something then that would mean a lot. And I thought that was so healthy and adult and mature because the question when someone <clears throat> doesn't get us a gift is often rooted in 
do I feel like they love me? And you really wanted that act of a reminder. But if you know that they love you, it's okay to say something else might've been going on. Maybe there's another priority going on in their life. Maybe they had a rough week. Don't reduce down one day or, or the lack of a gift to be a total determinant of how someone feels about you. It's a really unfair expectation and it's quite primitive and immature and too fragile. You know, um, holidays aren't something that have to be played into, but they're nice when they are. But please don't reduce down the love someone has for you or the care for you to whether or not they remembered or got you a gift on a specific day. Like, let's be better than that. Like, let's have some more humanity than that. Yes, we should think ahead of time, but yes, we should also be adult enough where if it doesn't happen, that that's okay too and that we can still know that someone loves us. We have to get away from this materialism. It, it's really quite problematic. And so... It, you know, your Valentine's Day to the person with the DM was what it was. But what means more is what you do now as well. And that's what it, that's what it's about, thought. So that's my advice. Do something thoughtful. I, I don't know you. I don't know your partner. So I don't know what will be thoughtful. But do something thoughtful. It, when you're in a relationship, take the time to learn what is of interest to them. Take the time to learn what is of value to them. Take the time to know what makes them feel thought of and do that. And often it's not the standard things. And the standard things are fine and they are meaningful. And we can't get so snooty as to find things too trite or banal and it's just not good enough. Get over that. Be better than that because that's a red flag to your partner if that's what you reduce the relationship down to is the worth of the gift. It's a red flag to them, right? How you manage your disappointment, your feelings about them not honoring a day or giving a gift says a lot about your relational health and mental health too. You know, it goes both ways. But be thoughtful and notice what they like and do that. And often it's the small things. So that's the most beautiful gifts I've received is someone who listened. I got an espresso machine. Yeah, they're expensive, but that's from someone who had the money to do that. And the meaning wasn't in the money spent. It was in that they know I love coffee. So it can be really small things. And often it's even smaller, smaller things. Sending someone delivered dinner because you know they had a rough day or a rough week. Um, and those are things that are rooted in money. But sometimes just leaving a really thoughtful note, a little cute stick it on the mirror right? Or cooking them a meal that's meaningful or something that they love. Or creating adorable movie night where you get snacks and you queue up their favorite film. Maybe you go get a sex toy and make it a really, you know, kick-ass romantic night. Just be thoughtful. All right, y'all, that's our show. We're bouncing out. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back tomorrow talking about not letting the pandemic negatively impact our friendships. Seriously, that's kind of like a global theme. Uh, check out past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com, y'all. Thanks for hanging out, and you enjoy the rest of your night.